Hi, my name is Patricio Robayo, and I'm a producer with WJFF Radio Catskill. Welcome to another edition of the Reporters Roundtable. Today, I'm joined with Liam Mayo of the River Reporter, Chris Raleigh with the Chihuahuacong Journal, Joseph Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat, and Philip Pontuso from the Times Union. We have a lot to cover, so let's get straight to it. Philip from the Times Union. Philip, let's start with you. The Ulster County Executive was Pat Ryan. Of course, he stepped down from the position to run for the New York 19th Congressional District, which he won. And now he's running for the New York 18th Congressional District because of the redrawn district lines. Philip, who's going to be on the ballot this November for the Ulster County Executive position? Right. So that's still going to be determined. So last Friday, Joanna Contreras, who had been the deputy county executive, she was sworn in as the acting Ulster County Executive, and she will fill out that position through the end of the year. And then there had been some discussion about there maybe being a special election for the county executive in Ulster County, but what they're going to do is put it on the ballot in November. And exactly the name who's going to be on the ballot is to be determined still. So the Republicans, at least as of Wednesday, September 14th, have not put forward a candidate yet. There are three Democrats who have thrown their hats uh, in the ring. Those are uh, former New York State Senator Jen Metzger, uh, another deputy Ulster County Executive Mark Ryder, and the current Ulster County Controller Mark Gallagher. But voters won't get a say on which of those three are on the ballot. So the Ulster County Democratic Committee is going to hold a nominating convention with um, some version of kind of ranked choice voting among uh, committee members on September 17th, so Saturday, the day that this is airing. It's kind of looking like Jen Metzger is the front runner for that right now, partly because Pat Ryan uh, endorsed her. He said in a statement that she's a person of integrity who brings great compassion to understanding the needs of the community. I found it slightly interesting, I guess, that of the three Democrats who have put their names forward for this position, Pat Ryan endorsed the one who hasn't actually served in his uh, administration. Read into that what you will, maybe. But Jen Metzger, of course, um, was a state senator until uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, so therefore has has won elected office previously and is currently on the Cannabis Control Board and has a lot of executive experience. So that would be the person I think who is going to get the nomination, um, but we'll know more um, early next week. On Jen Metzger, do you know if she's elected Ulster County Executive, if she's mentioned already, if that happens, what happens to her position on the Cannabis Control Board? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think she'll probably make that decision if and when she wins. So the the election in November is really just to see out the remainder of Pat Ryan's term, which runs through the end of next year, 2023. So um, as I mentioned previously, Joanna Contreras is going to be the acting county executive uh, through December 31st of this year. And then whoever wins in, in November will be sworn in on January 1st of 2023, but they will only be the county executive for a year. Uh, and then uh, next November, there will be another election for uh, a full term of county executive. Here in Sullivan County, we had a tragedy on White Lake in Bethel, New York. A family came from Long Island, I believe, uh, and went to the vacation. On White Lake in Sullivan County, unfortunately, tragedy struck the family. 
Uh, Philip, you have spoken about this tragedy already on the local edition previously, but right now you have some updates for us. What can you tell us? A pretty sad update. Um, so listeners might remember that um, on August 28th, a, a brother-in-law of this family, the Amin family from Long Island, uh, went under the water in, in White Lake. And um, he died on that day, and so did another family member who went under the water on that day in, in an attempt to save him. There was a third person who had been on life support for the past two weeks, sister of the of the of the young man who died uh, on that day. Her name was Nazarin Amin. The family announced that she died on September 10th. She never came off life support. She had been at Bellevue Hospital in New York City after being transferred there um, shortly after. Shortly after the drowning, she was declared officially brain dead on September 8th, but her, her heart stopped after they took her off life support um, early on the morning of September 10th. The family has a GoFundMe page that has has gotten a lot of donations to help them pay for funeral and expenses and hospital costs. And in one silver lining to this, perhaps, they're also creating a nonprofit organization is called the Amin Foundation, named after the family, that is going to raise funds for water safety education, swimming lessons and training, and equipment for emergency response teams. Um, but yeah, just just a really tragic story. Um, this this young woman was only 21 years old. Definitely a tragic situation. My heart goes out to the family. And but you said there is a small silver lining in this that they have created that nonprofit. So maybe another family won't have to suffer the fate of theirs and have those swim lessons and learn water safety and to wear life vest, especially here in this area. So Sullivan Catskills has been a number of drownings in the waters this year. And is anything we can do to sort of prevent another life to be gone? Keeping on Ulster County news, uh, Chris Rowley from the Shawnee Journal, we turn to you. There was another tragedy happened in your neck of the woods that involves a state trooper. What can you tell us about that? Uh, well, it's um, complex. I mean, I don't know whether people um, have the uh, the bare bones of it. I'll do it quickly. But a Friday evening, a uh, um, Ulster County mobile mental health team had been called, we think, by the victim of this police shooting uh, to uh, <clears throat> his house or his residence, anyway, uh, in Cragsmoor. And um, he was having some kind of uh, an event. We, we, we don't know any details about that yet, but I uh, couldn't calm down. The mobile mental health people apparently then called for police backup, um, and they got probably more than they expected because uh, county sheriffs and state troopers uh, rolled up there at high speed. We had a report from people at the bottom of uh, the ridge who live on the road, seeing a lot of police vehicles roar up the mountain. Anyway, uh, cut to the chase. Um, after efforts to get the young man to drop the large knife that he was waving around, uh, failed. Uh, an officer tried to tase him. Um, and as sometimes, well, often seems to happen, the tasing didn't work. It might not have actually reached his skin. We, again, a detail we don't, do not know. Shortly after that, again, for reasons we do not know, because they just said that the young man continued to advance towards the police, another trooper shot him dead. Total tragedy. And on the face of it, it seems 
completely against all modern day police training, at least in advanced areas, where basically you would expect them to back off, set up a perimeter, wait for him to calm down. You know, if there's no one else there, no one's being threatened, then leave him to wave the knife around and just go away. But anyway, um, he was shot dead. And uh, the reaction in the village of Allenville amongst people who knew him, because he was a graduate of Allenville High School in the year 2000, was fairly extreme. Uh, it, a, a lot of anger uh, has been expressed about this. Investigations of this sort of thing go to the Attorney General's office. The Attorney General's office has been in contact, of course, with uh, his parents. They are due to meet with the Attorney General's office and hear whatever they have to say soon. Uh, we have had the names of the troopers involved and published those um, on our online service. And uh, at this point, that's where this sits. It's, it's a very uncomfortable story. We don't have the details yet to know why the police officer felt it was necessary to shoot Dan McAlpin dead. But uh, he was only, um, let's see, he was 41 years old uh, and uh, had been working uh, the last few years at uh, the public house in Allenville, which is the, uh, the bar uh, grill, you know, small restaurant on the corner of Canal Street and Liberty Square. Um, a tragedy. And uh, as I said, there's a lot of anger in the village uh, that this happened. A very tragic situation. And the question that comes to mind is, you mentioned that uh, mobile mental health services was there and just really want to know, I want to know what happened as far as why de-escalation didn't happen with mental mobile health there and why the, the state trooper felt the need to shoot the man. That's, that's that, see, unfortunately, um, <clears throat> because of various... Uh, uh, you know, laws and, you know, natural, it's all reasonable. Uh, you can't talk to mental health. <laughs> they, 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 they're not going to respond to reporters' inquiries. We don't know at this point. Uh, I think we will all really have to wait for the Attorney General's office to uh, come out with their report on it. And uh, then well, I suppose we'll, we'll learn a lot more. Um, but, you know, everybody that I've spoken to who knew Dan McAlpin said he was a very pleasant young man. Uh, he had a, somewhat of an obsession with, with some cars that he had. He had cars that he'd like to work on. What this was about, we do not know. Um, we have to wait for an autopsy report and, as I said, the Attorney General's office to complete their investigation. Yeah, it's uh, th th these things are crazy. I, 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 and we do not know... What was going on in the minds of the state troopers? Were they protecting people who were in the room? Why were those people in the room? You know, all these questions uh, that come up with one of these incidents. And has to, the point has to be made that often these things move very quickly in directions that nobody understands at the time, um, you know, or expects. And uh, possibly that's, that's what it was about. But at the moment, it, it really does not look, very good. Not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Very tragic story. But uh, let's move on to some lighter news. Uh, let's talk about development and progress. What can you tell us about the advancement of New York Forward in Ellenville? Well, actually, it's not. I got it wrong. It's not New York Forward. New York Forward is this new granting 
uh, $100 million that uh, Governor Hochul has found in her $220.5 billion budget uh, to um, uh, spread around in smaller communities. Uh, this, this gets over the bias that the DRI, Downtown Revitalization Initiative Granting, which those are $10 million grants. The NYF grants are $4.5 million. Anyway, the DRI grants have tended to end up at places like Kingston, uh, you know, bigger towns, bigger cities, and smaller places and rural areas have been left out. So in comes the NYF. Then comes this brilliant idea from the mayor of New Paltz, Tim Rogers, who calls up... Um, village manager in Allenville and says, why don't we go in together on a, in a barbell uh, grant application, uh, the two villages together, uh, New Paltz and Allenville on a DRI. That's the downtown revitalization, $10 million jackpot. Um, so they're working on that very hard. Both villages have areas that could use the money. Uh, Allenville obviously would, would use it to uh, really revitalize the Liberty Square, Market Street, Center Street uh, areas that could use some work on facades. Could, there's, there's a lot of different things. And New Paltz has an area, I think, just to the edge of the village where they would like to uh, put some investment. Now, one aspect of this that's important is that these grants, loans, are... are what, what, what the grantors are looking for is private investment as well. And fortunately, Allenville is in the position right now, uh, having gone from zilch in terms of this kind of thing to having a, a bountiful, I mean, an overload um, with various private projects on Market Street, such as the 23 Market Street project to convert the old uh, devil dog dungaree building into uh, worker spaces and apartments and so on and so on and so on. And also a lot of work around uh, Liberty Square so that um, there's a lot of private investment to stand next to any DRI money that came in. And should Ellenville score that sort of DRI money, and one obvious place that could be spent would be to put an HVAC upgraded unit into and sprinklers into the uh, Hunt Memorial Building, which sort of stands in the middle of the village, is, is a rather splendid looking structure and uh, could be um, a really remarkable kind of community center. But it needs HVAC because we're reaching the end of the, the season, the very short season, where it's usable and comfortable. So that's basically, in a kind of a nutshell, what what that's all about. And also, the part of the barbell that's interesting that we should not forget is that the middle part is uh, provided by Open Space Institute, which is working on um, upgrading <clears throat> the Smiley Carriage Trail, uh, which leads up from Burmrod Park in Ellenville up towards and up into Minnewaska State Park. And then on the other side of the, of, of the mountain, down on the Mohonk Preserve end, they're also working on trails there. So the idea with them involved is that they're also putting in their private investment, is that both ends of the barbell could connect quite easily, eventually, uh, just in bicycles. You could just get on your bike in New Paltz and ride over to Ellenville uh, and stay the night and whatever, see a show, and then ride back the next day. And 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 it, it's a sort of um, an opening to a kind of tourism that uh, Ulster County really ought to have. I mean, if you go to other places in the world, the Rhineland, the Alps, parts of Italy, you know, this sort of tourist um, attraction, amenity, 
available. And it would be great for uh, Ulster County to uh, have this as well. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Leah Mayo from The River Reporter. Let's turn to you to see what's going on in Sullivan County. Broadband, high-speed broadband internet has been a big topic in recent years. It's always been an issue here in Sullivan County, and it has only been heightened more by the pandemic because of folks moving up here, going virtual, working from home. Sullivan County created a committee to help broaden the high-speed internet throughout the county. Uh, Liam, what can you tell us about the latest on the county's initiative? For those who may not be familiar with Sullivan County's broadband initiative, the broadband LDC was formed from the county to uh, pursue getting broadband access to as much of the county as possible. And for the past two years about, they've been pursuing broadband through this project to broadcast internet access through the county's public safety cell towers. And that project is sort of continuing, but recently they announced, or it's sort of been announced, that there's this public-private partnership that's going to happen with a new fiber optic or just fiber internet company, Archtop Fiber. And so this will be sort of going on in parallel to the LDC's current project. The idea is the towers can broadcast internet very well to some parts of the county, and then this fiber project could come in and cover the count parts of the county where the broadband doesn't reach as well. Archtop, the company that they're partnering with, is a newly formed internet and phone company that's setting up shop in the Hudson Valley. It's looking to bring in up around $350 million in investment and trying to reach around 500,000 homes. So it's a pretty substantial investment that could reach up to 10 gigabytes per second upload and download speeds. Uh, this isn't something Archtop has announced. This is, they've announced kind of what technology they'll be using. And I just looked to see what kind of speeds that technology can reach. And that was sort of a general figure for it. So that could be a lot faster than people's potential current. And then this is something that's going to be built out, hopefully, over the next few years. So it's not something that will immediately come in, but it's um, a really bright spot for the future. Has this new company announced how exactly they're going to put these fiber cables in place in Sullivan County? Will it be run along the telephone poles that exist now? Will it be underground? How did they talk about the sort of the some of the details of the proposed infrastructure that has to go in place for this to become a reality? I'm not 100% sure. I believe Archtop does plan um, to the home cable connections. I don't know what um, infrastructure they'll be using for that, but I do believe they will be putting additional infrastructure in place. It will be definitely interesting to see that take place and see all that growth for high-speed internet. Recently, Sullivan County tried to pass a resolution reaffirming their support for the Second Amendment and also have language in the resolution that's attempted to turn back and repeal the current new New York State gun laws on concealed carry. Exactly where can someone carry a concealed weapon in the buildings that Sullivan County own? But there's an update to that bill. The most recent update for that resolution is that it's 
a largely symbolic resolution. It's a resolution that's been watered down, so to speak, a few times since its initial draft. The initial draft had a resolved that Sullivan's declared a gun-friendly county, seems to imply that uh, anyone could carry a handgun anywhere throughout the county. Later on, it was revealed that that only applies to people in county buildings. Um, and it also had a resolved that the Sullivan County Legislature opposes the state's recent change to concealed carry laws and sort of urges the state legislature to overturn that. Uh, that draft got changed at the, the September 1 meeting of the Sullivan County Legislature. It sort of took out that second part uh, that would refer it back to the state legislature. And it clarified that this resolution is only going to apply to county buildings. So Sullivan County will let people carry weapons in county-owned buildings. That was the situation as of September 1. But the next day, Sullivan County Legislator Rob Doherty came out with a statement saying that it was symbolic of the legislature's feelings, but they can't really do that as of yet. Um, they can't really allow people to carry weapons in county buildings based on their interpretation of the state's law. So that was sort of the main thing this resolution was going to do. And then either because they took another look at the state law or um, this was always the plan, they realized they couldn't do it. So they're still, Sullivan County is still looking into like what it can do regarding letting people concealed carry in county buildings. But as of the most recent update, as far as I know, um, it the county doesn't have the authority to do that. So this ended up being a very symbolic uh, resolution of the county's feelings on uh, the Second Amendment and gun ownership, but it, it, there's not a lot the county can actually do. A lot of it is out of the county's hands and up into the state's hands. I am curious on how come this wasn't, this resolution wasn't vetted more before it became, before it was brought to the public. It's just, you know, watching the public comments uh, when, when this was on the floor, uh, things got very contentious. So I, it just seems like it was uh, unnecessary and it maybe should have been more vetted before it came out to the public. And, and it did end up being a very symbolic resolution, but I think a lot of the opposition to it was even just about that symbol saying that, hey, Sullivan County is a gun-friendly county, sends entirely the wrong message to um, militia groups who might want to turn up and start doing drills or something. I. I think there was a lot of fear around the message that declaring Sullivan County a gun-friendly county could send. Even though the resolution doesn't change much, that message sort of still has gotten out there. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's, uh, the message was, was put out there. So let's keep it in Sullivan County. Joseph Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat. You were at a, today we're recording this on a Wednesday, and you were at a press conference today about Move on Sullivan. What can you tell us about that? We had a lot of different topics today, uh, but I'm going to stick with everyone's favorite, transportation. And uh, so Move Sullivan is a, a bus service that the county created about three years ago, uh, contracting with uh, Rolling V, which is one of the larger bus providers in the region, uh, to have this service. And they had two routes for its first three years. Uh, and recently, the legislature approved expanding it to four routes. 
So um, without going through the entire route of each, routes, they're pretty much just route C and D, because A and B have already been in existence. Route C kind of takes you into Kanyanga Lake, into Bethel, White Lake a little bit, um, before going back out towards Monticello. And then Route D takes you out to Mamikating, into Wurtsboro and Bloomingburg. I think there's one stop in Rock Hill. So, and then back out to the Monticello, kind of shopping area out by ShopRite, Walmart, and all that. So that's the expansion. Uh, there were two press conferences today, one uh, to commemorate the launch of it, even though services started on September 1st. Uh, and that was one was at the Bethel Senior Center. Uh, the other was at the Wurtsboro G-Mart grocery store on Route 209 in Mamikating. Uh, there were some similar speakers at both, and there were some specific speakers like the chairman, Rob Doherty, who's District 1 of the legislature, uh, spoke at Bethel. Nick Salamone spoke at Wordsboro, um, who's the legislator representing that district uh, area. So, uh, But at the press conference in Bethel, which I attended this morning, uh, County Manager Josh Potosik talked about one of the roles of counties, which is to provide services to its residents. And uh, this is one of the biggest services they can provide. And they've been uh, doing it. Uh, also, the legislature recently voted to remove bus fares. Uh, it, was a, it was a low amount. I don't remember the exact amount, but they uh, decided until at least the end of 2023 that it would be free to all riders, you know, considering that it has been being used. And also, too, trying to keep in mind with the economic climate right now, the rise of inflation. Uh, so to try to help out county residents. But now uh, it provides service to 18 new stops in eight communities, which is in addition to the existing two dozen stops across 10 locations. And recently at a county legislature meeting, uh, Laura Quigley, who's the commissioner of the Division of Community Resources for the county, discussed that you know she hopes to have further expansion eventually, maybe out to more outlying areas of the county, including Jeffersonville and such, which currently don't have any bus transportation options. But this is a, a big deal uh, in the sense that you know gas prices are crazy and such, and you also have a lot of people you know that have immigrated to the area and stuff that might not have cars and stuff. So this is a, a useful tool for the community. So. Definitely is uh, access to. Uh... The lack of access to to medical, lack of access to shopping centers is one of the things that drives the, the health rankings, and we're second to last in those. So this is definitely uh, will be a benefit to the county. So I'm glad to see that it's continuing on in this uh, format. So uh, but let's move on to some more development that's happening here. Uh, the Sullivan County International Airport just recently got some money from the state. What can you tell us about that? I guess to touch on history, uh, years ago when it was created, the thought was that this airport would bring common tourists to the hotels. And then, of course, we all know what happened with the hotels here. And that kind of left it, I would say, this is my opinion, not fact, without sort of an identity for a little while, even though it was in existence. But recently, there's been a resurgence uh, with the airport in recent years. Uh, just to give an example of that, Fuel sales, the county decided a few years back to become the fuel dealer uh, instead of just uh, as far as part of the process when people came with their airplanes and stuff. And it was already rising. So, for example, last year for 2021, the county sold $400,000 in fuel sales. Uh, but through August, with four months remaining, 
in the year, they're already at $546,377. So fuel sales are up. Also, airport activity is up. So in the past, they would see about 400 aircraft in a year uh, coming through on average. But in July alone, they fueled 79 aircraft. So there's definitely a belief that that's going to increase as far as when the year's over. A lot of renovations have been put into the airport thanks to grant monies. Uh, a lot of different grant projects. They uh, replaced runway lights, taxi lights, replaced 10 door hang 10 hangar doors, rehabilitated the main runway, have a new fuel farm, rehabilitated the taxiway. They're currently finishing up rehab on a five bay hangar, plan to construct a new 10 bay hangar in the future. And they were just approved for a $654,000, $144 grant to redo the airport's terminal transient aircraft apron. So as the superintendent for the airport, James Arnott, told us recently, they've essentially rebuilt the airport in five years. Um, and speaking of grants, uh, the county's the finalist for a $15 million grant, which is in this pool of money, which is $235 million uh, that the DOT is giving to eligible airports, which will be shared amongst ones that are chosen. Uh, and they would like to use that money the county if they receive it to redo their terminal. So as far as the growth, you were mentioning the new tenant. So Hot Solar Air, which is a nonprofit uh, you know, air agency that does like rescue missions and a whole bunch of uh, life-saving uh, measures uh, through air travel. And uh, recently they moved into and rehabbed a hangar within the airport and recently held a grand opening for that. They've been operational in Sullivan County since midsummer. They still wanna make the airport their uh, world headquarters and uh, have an application instilled to the FAA they're trying to work out, which has like a grander, more extensive, uh, elaborate plan uh, there, but that's still in the works. But so for now they're moved in there. And also there's a developer out of Quebec, which has been looking into the feasibility uh, of a project uh, at the airport, which was like update water and sewer and a bunch of different other things. Uh, so that's sort of some areas with the airport and pretty much, what the uh, superintendent was telling me is that the business aviation market is growing. So um, at about 15% per year, as far as the rate goes. And that's left the question, where are these aircraft going to go? Because a lot of other aircrafts in the region are either filled up, there's not really any space left. And other places out of that are considered metroplex airports, uh, where you can get to the city within a couple hours. Well, not a couple hours, sorry. I think you can get a 30-minute helicopter taxi um, pretty much if you go to anywhere in this sort of region. So like there's one in Petersburg, I think it's called, down in Jersey and such. And, and these are all sort of airports in the region. And they have more congested airspaces than Sullivan County does because there's just not a lot of tenants compared to those places yet. But there is, so there's space available. There's, they're on 600 plus acres of land. Uh, so that's definitely an area where they, continue to see future growth. And as the, um, and the 6,300 foot jet runway uh, is, you know, a big deal for the county that they recently redid. And um, yeah, so pretty much they've kind of found this identity I was talking about, you know, they were supposed to be this place to bring tourists to the hotels. Now it's turned in sort of to a state-of-the-art executive jet airport. And that's where it's sort of found its success for executive jets. And it seems like it's not going to slow down anytime soon. So I'm sure me, Liam, and um, other folks will be reporting on that um, as it continues. Air travel 
private air travel is definitely has gone up, according to uh, an article I read in the New York Times recently. The nearest big airport that we have to us is Stewart International Airport that has flights to uh, had flights to Europe. I'm not sure if they're still going on, uh, but definitely had flights to Florida. Is that uh, is the Sullivan County Airport going to sort of compete with that and sort of you know take flights maybe from Florida soon? Yeah, I don't see us being like Stewart anyway. Uh, shit, because that's more like commercial flights. I think that the county's still focused on these private jets. Uh, there is some talk and things in the works I've heard that would potentially see the county uh, be more vocal with or having more opportunities with international flights, but like private flights. And we'd be looking probably more with Canada for that because, uh, you know, flights from Canada and stuff, because you'd have to think if with private jets, people are probably going to have to stop a few times to fuel up if they're going to be traveling, uh, unless they have a really good executive jet, which they might. But I would say we're more competing with the Orange County airports, the uh, you know other metroplex like Petersburg outside in Jersey and stuff outside the greater New York City region than we would be with Stewart's. Who knows? Maybe that could be a thing in like 50 to 100 years, but I think in the, the near future, it's going to main executive private jet style aircraft definitely keep definitely keep us up to date on those latest progress that happens at the sullivan county international airport you've been listening to the reporters roundtable i've been your host patricio robayo today i was joined with liam mayo from the river reporter joseph abraham from the sullivan county democrat chris riley from the shawana journal and philip pantuso from the times union Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on the Reporters Roundtable, and we'll see you next month.